0: And this is our podcast. I just want to say thank you for joining us. And it is my prayer that this week's message will truly encourage you. Enjoy. There's a story about a young pastor who was sitting in a restaurant working on his message. So I want you to get this picture. As he was sitting there, he opened up a letter that his mother had sent him that he had taken along with him. And so before he jumped into the text, he thought he wanted to see what mom had to say as he opened up, a $20 bill fell out. Now, this may mean nothing to you, but when you first go into ministry, uh, I always say this, you never go into ministry to make money. Uh, If you wanna make money in ministry, you become an evangelist. (laughs) Okay, anyway. (laughs) And so when he saw the money fall out, he said to himself, wow, how did she know exactly what we needed to get ourselves through this week? It was then that he looked out the window of the restaurant and he noticed a beggar. A beggar that was leaning against the light pole. And he thought to himself, I'll bet he needs the money more than I. So he crossed out his name and he wrote it on the envelope and wrote at the top of the envelope these letters. P-E-R-S-E-V-E-R-E. Persevere. In just bold letters. He then got up from the table, went out the door, and dropped the envelope at the poor man's feet. The poor man picked it up, read the words in the envelope, looked at the pastor, and smiled. The next day, the same pastor, same restaurant, there to work on the same message, was sitting at the table when he felt a hand on his shoulder, and it was the homeless man. And the homeless man took a wad of money and dropped it in front of the pastor. Surprised, the young pastor said, what in the world is this? He said, well, it's your winnings. Persevere came in first at the derby, paid 30 to 1. (laughs) Now, I say that because wouldn't it be awesome if the Christian life was that simple? As well as that rewarding. Now, before you quickly sound real Christ like and say, but it is rewarding, I'd invite you to maybe get in my shoes a little bit. (laughs) Because from the world's perspective, I wish it was that simple. I wish that it was as easy as saying a little prayer and the return would be so great. I wish it would be as easy as that you can just place all that you have upon a simple word called persevere and it would always come back 30 to 1. But I don't know about you. It seems that the horse that I bet on seems to always come in last. Ever feel that way? See, I think you would be dishonest in this moment if you said, nah, nah. Because I'm here to tell you in the world in which we live, you lift up the name of Jesus. And you're going to feel like you come in last. If you don't feel that, my guess is you're not lifting up the name of Jesus. Because the lines in this world have been drawn pretty clear, especially in this country these days. Standing up for Jesus just means you put a giant bullseye on you and boy, a lot of people are happy to shoot. You ever feel that way? It's that we're going to talk about. We're going to look at some vision just like we have for the last couple weeks. But today I want to give you something I really believe that God put on my heart. Scares the daylights out of me because I'm very aware of the fact that I could get that wrong. Just don't think I am. I think there's something going on in our country and I'm not trying to sound optimistic because I don't serve an optimistic God. I serve the God. I don't have to be optimistic. I just know he already wins. He's already victorious because he's the Lord God. I don't have to look at a glass half empty or a glass half full. He's the glass and it's overflowing. The question is, do we want to be in that flow or not? And it's to that that I want to talk about. And so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to go to verse 17. As you're going there, I want to have a word of prayer. Can we do that? Father, as we open up your word, we're going to look at a very familiar story. Sadly, even though it's familiar, we may not really even understand it in its fullness. God, I don't say that to disrespect anybody in the room. I say that only at my own <laughs> my own reality of the fact that, man, every time I read your word, something new jumps out, something I've never seen before. And God, I think it's true when we look at this story, and so I pray diligently I pray fervently I pray intently I ask in some ways in my humanity begging that you will show up because without you without you we are nothing it's all about you just as we sang it's all about you and so Lord we invite have your way Even if it's painful, even if at a moment we feel like we've got to throw up a wall of defense, I pray that you would tear any of those thoughts down and we'd let you just do what only you can do. And I ask it in Jesus' name and everyone says, amen. Amen. I want to let you know that I did something that I think all of you did this morning. I looked in a mirror and I noticed that my hair is thinning. Have you ever had that reality? <laughs> okay. If you haven't, well, we can help out some of you this morning. Um, it's, a, it's a funny thing that, boy, you, it can age quickly and it gets by you before you even realize. You ever notice that? I say that because change is hard. I know it to be hard in this country because there's a lot of people who exhaust a lot of money trying to keep themselves looking young. And I, I don't say with any disrespect, but that seemed to work well for Kenny Rogers, didn't it? And, uh, <laughs> I I just simply, I'm not trying to disrespect it. I just don't get it. I don't get why you try to slow down what you cannot slow down, why you try to fix what you cannot fix. And the only one who can do that is God. And you know what it takes to get there? It's called death. The most exciting thing that will happen in my life is when I breathe my last this side of heaven. And what's sad in this world is how many people, if not most people, are trying to keep that from happening. The greatest thing that will happen in my life is when I die and I'm home with the Father. And the aging stops. But I say that because change is hard unless you really get change. And we said something on a screen and I'm pretty sure I was sitting backstage thinking there's some people already chafing Here we go again, gonna move the service times because we got just singing, it's all about him, but now it's really all about you, isn't it? You see what happens? And then there's this attitude, there's people, and I hope it's not you, there'll be people like, well, I'm just gonna go somewhere else because the church is all about me, what I get, what I want. And I'm like, it's not about you because if it's about you, you're probably not saved. Because salvation is when you die to you. And I want you to understand something. Most people fail to understand this church. Every time there's change, I'll guarantee it affects me more than it affects you. Because see, next weekend, most of you can choose to say, I'm going to go do something else on Sunday. I don't get that choice. Come Christmas, we're going to launch... A brand new series, we're going to do something we've never done before. We're not celebrating Christmas until Christmas. And the only reason why is not because I'm always trying to, if you will, confront people and and make their lives frustrated, but I am a person that I believe God's called to make sure that things are uncomfortable. Because there's nothing, I, I, I don't even know what to do about that. I'm just telling you, I just know this is what God asked me to do. Is it's too easy to go through status quo and to play comfort because that's what America teaches and that's what America's all about I'm just being honest the pursuit of happiness is all about that thing so you can rest on your laurels and you can have everything you want thus we choose to go after it and it's really not the, pur- the pursuit of happiness we've kind of adopted the purchase of happiness and we chase it and everything we can the only problem is the word comfort is not anywhere in Christianity In fact, I I could make an incredible argument in case that Jesus was all about when you're comfortable, he's going to upset the basket flow. He's going to make sure you're not comfortable. (laughs) Because it's not about that. There's nothing comfortable about it. That's why I said in a moment, when you stand up for Christ, I I wish that persevere would come in 30 to 1, but it seems he always comes in last. It's just the reality that we're in. But I look at our world today, and Christmas, we've made it about us. We think that Jesus Christ died so we could have a day away so we could be with family and friends and open up presents. And we fail to understand there is no Christmas without Jesus, and Jesus didn't come, if you will, for us to have family. He came first and foremost that he would be God, and out of that we could experience family. The day is his birthday, not ours. It's his celebration, not ours. But the sadness is, is that we don't even realize what happens that Christmas has become the end of something rather than the beginning of something. Because on December 26, guess what happens to all the radio stations? Boop, music goes back, it's over. December 26, Christmas trees start coming down, everything goes into the box, we go right on with life and we start thinking about New Year's resolutions. See, I'm not into New Year's resolutions. New Year's resolutions for me began when Jesus Christ was born. And I'm not thinking about what I need to change I'm asking Him what I need to change. Does that make sense? And so we're going to try something that's going to be totally radical, but it's going to affect me as much as it'll affect you, if not more. So we're not doing anything. We're not going to decorate. We're not going to do anything. We're going to do a series starting next week called Built Tough. I'll talk about that in a moment. We're going to go four weeks. We're going to do nothing. No Christmas music, nothing in this church. But on Saturday, December 25th, We're gonna have church here. We're not doing any Christmas Eve services. I know some of you are going, oh man, that's our family tradition. Let me tell you something about God. He's all about taking down family traditions. Family traditions is what was killing our world and why God sent his son. It was by tradition that the elders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees were doing what they were doing and tradition was destroying their souls. And Jesus said what? I came to bear a sword. I came to turn father against son and mother against daughter. He wasn't saying I'm anti-family. He's saying, unless I'm first, you don't get it. I came to knock those things down, that we would have something new and fresh. You guys are worshiping with your lips, but your hearts are far away, Jesus said. All of this stuff is what Jesus said. He came to give us what life would really be full in its fullness. And so for this year, it's something, I'm I'm 56, trust me, I grew up in the church. Many of you know, my dad was a pastor, so I went to church nine months before I was even born. I know what it's like. I've never, I've never not had a Christmas Eve service. But we're going to flip the script. Because on that day when Jesus Christ was born, do you know what the, you know what the, 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 the angels said to the shepherds? here's what they said. Tomorrow, Jesus is going to be born. So tonight, we're going to have a candlelight service. And that's not what he said, okay? <laughs> he said, today, the Savior's been born. That's when Christmas began. And we're going to try to go back to the biblical text, and on Christmas Day, we're going to have church. And my family, my, my, I've already sat down with my girls, and they said, listen, we're not opening any presents. We're not going to do anything on Christmas Eve. We're not going to open on Christmas Day until we first go to church and remember what it's all about. And then number two, we're going to go somewhere in the community and give our lives away. And then we'll come back and we'll think about us. And so we're going to, we're going to, please hear this. Please hear this. I'm going to be asking all of us to think that way. And so I listen to my girls going, well, my roommate, my daughter Jordan goes, my roommate, every every holiday has to work in, in the ER. She's a nurse, ER nurse. Can we go there and do something for them? Because see, while many of us are open our presents, there's police officers that'll be driving all over this town. There'll be firemen that'll be in their stations and won't be able to be with family. There's going to be all kinds of people. There's going to be people at the hospital that don't get to be home for Christmas. And so I I told our family, we're going to go give. We're going to go to the children's home. We're going to do whatever it is. We're going to go give away and be Christmas to someone. And then we're going to come home and we'll sit around and open presents. See, I think that'll change because it's very personal to me that so many people think my life was easy. But in 1980, I'll never forget the fact that we sat in Sioux City in a motel room, and my sister was fighting for her life. She was in a head on car accident, and we were pretty sure she was going to die. And we're all in a motel room, my mom's handing out Christmas gifts, and we're looking at them and we're just weeping. But really, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna hope in this? And I've never forgotten that day. I've never forgotten that day. And I can still see it as I see you. And so we're going to launch Christmas. And then we're going to do Christmas Eve, which is Sunday after Christmas. And we're going to launch a Christmas series. So when you come here on Christmas Day, this whole place is going to be like you've never seen it before. It'll be on steroids of Christmas And we're gonna start Christmas on Christmas Day. We're gonna have Christmas Eve, Sunday after Christmas, and we're gonna do a whole Christmas series going clear through January. And we're gonna talk about what is Christmas, a message I'm doing called Christmas, Chris Much, Chris More, and Christ Forever. And we're gonna walk into a new year with the whole idea that Christmas is not a day we celebrate it's a life-changing unbelievable gift that will take us into the rest of our lives this side of heaven. Amen. That's what we're going to do. Okay? So just know that, but we're changing service times because we're really asking ourselves listening. We 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 know that COVID changed the world. But we needed the change in some ways. I'm sorry if you've lost some people. I've lost people too. But I know this, whether it be COVID cancer or something else, we're all going to die. And it should heighten the fact that this isn't heaven, but there is a heaven and not everybody's going there. Jesus said, narrows the gate. And we need to be preaching the message of Jesus. And hence what we're going to talk about today. Amen to this. So again, I hope that I'm not, I'm never up here trying to put anybody on the defense. I'm just asking you to help me If you don't agree, let's look at what does the Bible say? Is the word comfort in there? Is the word convenient in there? Is the word America in there? (laughs) Somewhere in the midst of it, what does the word of God say? Because Jesus said, if you really love me, you'll obey my word. The word is my authority. It always will be, people. The word of God is my authority. I know what it's like to try to live without Jesus. I know what that's like. But I also know what it's like to seek him with everything I've got. Even in my own humanity, and it's worth it. And if there's anything our country needs more than anything, it's Jesus. They need Jesus. Amen to that? They need Jesus. They need the word of God. That's what our world needs. That's what our world needs. And so I want to look at 1 Samuel 17, a story we're all familiar with called David and Goliath. Does, does anybody remember David and Goliath on Sunday morning, that little animation thing? Do you, do you remember that? you remember that? You know, hey, Davy. You remember that? <laughs> the dog? I just love it. I used to watch that every Sunday morning. So um, so it's crazy how those things stick with you. It's some of the worst produced stuff that you can imagine, but it made some of the greatest impact I've ever had in my life. Uh, unbelievable stories. So, if you've got your Bibles, 1 Samuel 17, beginning in the very first verse. I am going to, if you will, read from multiple translations. Please bear with me on that, because there's some key wording that I'm looking for. And I'm also going to skip some verses, so it'll all be on the screen if you want to follow along with that. I will try to make sure that I, I, I always let you know where I'm at and what verse. So, beginning in the very first verse, here's what it says. The Philistines assembled their troops for war. Saul and the Israelites, which is God's army. I want to help you with this. Anytime that you see the word Philistine and you see the word Israelite in the word of God in the Old Testament, we're talking about the true dichotomy, the polarized opposites of heaven and hell. The Philistines weren't just pagan people. They represented the very evil that Satan is and was. And anytime you see the Israelites, you're talking about God's people, those who are supposed to be trusting who God is. And yet, even in the Old Testament, as it is today, there's a lot of people who claim to know God, but there's a lot of people who are not following God. Is that fair? So here we are. The Philistines assembled their troops for war. Saul and the Israelites, Saul being God's anointed king, assembled their armies as well. So you've got two armies. Seasoned people. This is what they did. They battled one another. The Bible says the Philistines took position on one hill while the Israelites took their position on the opposite hill and there was a valley between them. Does everybody get the picture here? Do not miss this. It's so important you catch the picture or you're going to miss the story. You have God's people the anointed king, Saul, leading his army where he's supposed to be as a king on one hillside. On the other, you've got evil. You've got Satan. You've got that domain. And in between is a valley. A champion named Goliath came out from the Philistine camp. No matter what translation you read, you'll discover the description of who this Goliath was which means this, they knew who he was and God's people knew who he was, meaning this wasn't their first rodeo. He was more than nine feet tall. He wore a bronze helmet. He wore bronze scale armor weighing 125 pounds. All right? He also wore bronze leg armor. A little bit different from your typical yoga pants, okay? (laughs) And he carried a bronze javelin. The shaft of his spear was heavy and thick, and its iron head weighed 15 pounds. He stood, and he shouted a taunt at the Israelite troops. I want to say that again. This dude is big. Don't miss this. This giant is big. He's huge. He's enormous. He's alone, if you will, along with one who would lead forth him. We don't need to talk about him. But he is shouting a defiant message at God's people. I want to say this again. You've got Saul God's anointed, hand-picked by God, the king of all kings, leading his army, God's people, on one mountainside. You have the enemy, the devil, on the other. And in the valley alone, along with his armor-bearer, some little dude, you've got a giant defying God. He stood and shouted a taunt at the Israelite troops. Why have you come and taken up battle against us? I am the Philistine champion, and you're Saul's servants. Select one of your men and let him come down here and fight me. If he's able to kill me, then we'll become your slaves. But if I overcome him and kill him, then you'll become our slaves. I defy the armies of Israel. Send me a man who will fight me. When Saul and all the Israelites heard this, they were terrified and deeply shaken. If you read this in the message translation, it reads, they were terrified and had lost all hope. I think this is a picture of our world today. I think this is a very crystal clear graphic picture of where we are in this country. And when I listen to God's people and I'm painting broad strokes, do you know what I hear? I hear fear. I hear terror. And I hear a people who've lost all hope. We are facing a giant crisis. And I don't think anyone would argue that. I think all of us would know that lines have been clearly drawn. And the moment that I say I'm a biblically conservative pastor, persevere moves to the end of the Derby. A target gets magnified on my back, and I'm told all kinds of things that they don't even know about me. I'm a bigot. I'm prejudiced. I hear all those things. I got letters to prove it. Just from the sheer fact that I say that the Word of God is my authority. And you all have felt it too. My goodness, just listen to the medias. Just go out in the social world. Open up a newspaper. You don't have to go far to discover what people are thinking, what people are feeling, and where they stand. I think it's crystal clear. Healthcare reform, religious rights, immigration, sexuality, education, environment, economics. Welfare, election integrity, gun control, racism, and it seems a new conspiracy arises every day and people are chasing them with everything they got. Am I getting close to the corn here, people? And then we read in verse 16 of 1 Samuel 17, and for 40 days straight... Goliath came out, took his stand both morning and evening, and it seems like it's endless. It seems like this barrage grows more and more, and every day you wake up, here comes the taunts, here comes the giants, and the crisis seems to get louder and louder and louder, and I want to pause this for a moment, and I'm going to get personal, and I want to ask you, and I'm not asking you to shout it out, what's your Goliath? Goliath? I'll help you it's what you sit around with your brothers and sisters and you talk about over coffee do you know why you talk about it because it's a great concern of yours Oh, I'm going to come back to this in a moment what do you talk about the most what is your giant that puts fear When I hear people go, oh, I get so worried about this next generation. What are they going to be raised up in? I don't know. Probably the very thing that Jesus said was going to happen. There's a thought for you. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. See, I'm not freaked out about the next generation, what they have to face. I'm going to tell you why in a moment. But what is it? What is it that you talk about and it consumes your mind? That puts fear in you. That paralyzes you. That keeps you like Saul in the Israelites on the cliff of today. While there's a giant taunting the very God that we say we love. Please hear this. You don't have to name it. But I think that's the crisis because it's already named you. Because Satan knows what you talk about the most. And he knows what has you. And we're going to talk about that. And I'm going to give you the answer, believe it or not. So if you have your notes, I want to give you three characteristics of a giant crisis. And I'm going to talk about what God says the answer is. Here's the first one. A giant crisis. See, you need to understand this. Please get this. You need to understand a giant crisis and what's going on. You need to get it because when you understand it, it changes everything. Here's the first thing. A giant crisis always seems larger than life. It always does. But it's supposed to. We'll talk about that in a moment. A giant crisis always seems larger than life. Obviously, that's what God's people felt. These are God's people. This dude, Goliath, was one big dude. He didn't just put fear in them. They believed he was unstoppable. Think about that for a moment. You know, about 12 years ago, after the famed preacher Donald Barnhouse graduated from Bible college, he was invited back to preach at their chapel services. When he arrived, he noticed that one of his old professors had come to sit and listen to him right in the front row. When he had finished his message, the old professor came up and said, Donald, I just want you to know if you ever come back again, I'm not going to come hear you. You see, I only come once, and I'm glad that you're a big godder. You see, when my students come back, I come to see if they're a big godder or a little godder, and then I know what their ministry will really be like. Barnhouse didn't understand. He said, can you explain that? He said, "Sure. You see, some men have a little god. They don't realize it, but that's why they're always in trouble. They never see any miracles because they have a little god. So I just call them a little godder. But then there's some who take on giants. They believe great things and they actually see many of them to come true. I call them a big godder. You, my friend, are a big godder." Now, I say that because I want you to stop and think about that day on the mountainside, God's king and God's people. For 40 days, they sat around campfires. What do you think they were talking about when they were sitting around those campfires? You think they were talking about how big God is? Or do you think they were talking how big Goliath was? What are you talking about these days? You talking about how big our current president is? Are you talking how big your God is? Because the Bible says the mouth speaks what's in the heart. You freaked out about what's going on right now? The size of your, watch this, don't miss this. The size of your Christ determines the size of your crisis. Not the other way around. Big God or little God or. See, when I pray, I don't tell God how big my giant is. I tell my giant how big my God is. You see the difference? (laughs) A giant crisis, my friends, always seems larger than life. It needs to. Here's number two. A giant crisis will seem greater than your resources and is supposed to. See, every and any crisis will always make you feel helpless and hopeless. Let me say it again. Every and any crisis will always make you feel helpless and hopeless. You ready for this? And precisely why God puts them in your life. God loves it when you and I feel helpless and hopeless. Did you know that? It's exactly where God wants us to be. See, Goliath wasn't there by chance. It's not like God set up the uh, up the battle and Goliath walked out and God went, "Oh, crap, who's that?" This is exactly what God was prescribing. See, I don't believe that God causes the ugly in the world, but he'll definitely mostly allow it. And sometimes he doesn't doubt. You know why? Because nothing happens until it crosses the desk of God first. There'll be nothing in your life that God goes, ah, oh, didn't see that one. That's why I tell people, your giant, for the most part, isn't your crisis. It's your Christ. And God's trying to help your faith grow. I don't know if you ever heard someone say, God will never give you more than you can handle. Please hear this. Someone say, crap, okay, because that's what that is. God always gives me something that I can't handle. He always does it. That's exactly what he wants to do. Keith can't handle this. Watch this. God just never gives me nothing he can't handle. This is exactly what God's doing in this moment. This is his people, his anointed king. Why are you guys paralyzed? What is it about you that a Goliath is bigger than I? The whole point of Christianity is that we can't, and he can. By the way, if you're pursuing, let me just say this, if you're pursuing a dream that you can achieve in your own strength, you're pursuing a dream you shouldn't be pursuing Remember when it says, a light is unto my feet and a lamp into my path, the word of God? If you can look up and see where you're going, you're probably seeing something you shouldn't be seeing. And if you can look up and understand what you're doing, you're probably understanding things you shouldn't know. In my life, for the most part, especially right now, all I have is the next step. I have no idea when I look up where I'm going. Right now in my life as your pastor, all I have is the next step. But his word is enough to take it because he knows where I'm going. And I'm gonna be obedient to that. I like the way John Ortberg says it. Is there any challenge in your life right now that is so large that you have no hope of doing it apart from God's help? The answer is yes, but watch what he says, if not, Consider the possibility that you're seriously under challenged. And I think he's right. See, for God to show up and show off, you ready for this? He has to remove our control so we'll get under his control. The whole point of the story is what God can do, not what we can do. And so a giant crisis will always seem greater than your resources. It needs to. I want to lead a church where like, I have no idea, God, what we're going to do if you don't show up. And God's like, thank you. It's exactly what I want. Here's number three, a giant crisis will never just go away. Say that one with me. A giant crisis will never just go away. For 40 days, morning and night, Goliath appeared. And like an ostrich, they thought they could just stick their head in the sand. And I'm, I'm fearing today that that's what the American church has been doing. That's what they call prayer. Well, if we just keep our head, well, God, if you'll just, if God, and God's like, stick, come on, stand up, row your shoulders back. We're in a battle. Let's go fight. So what can we do and how do we deal with a crisis? This is where it gets fun. So if you have your Bibles, go to verse 17. Look what it says. One day, Jess, Jesse said to David, David is youngest. Jesse, the father, says to David, David's just a boy, his youngest. Take this basket of roasted grain and bread and carry them quickly to your brothers and bring me back a report. Verse 20. So David left the sheep with another shepherd and set out early in the morning with these gifts as Jesse had directed him. He arrived at a camp and he greeted his brothers. As David was talking with them, Goliath the Philistine champion stepped out from his lines and shouted his usual defiance. And David heard him. And David heard him. As soon as the Israelites army saw him, they began to run away in fright. Verse 26. So David asked the soldiers standing nearby, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? And who is this pagan Philistine anyway that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? In other words, why are you letting this happen? Why are you letting this happen? If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, if my people, if my people, if my people, I will heal their land. The key to America is us, it's nobody else, never will be. And it's all by faith that it'll happen. The men answered, Have you seen the giant? I just wonder if David said, Have you seen my God? He comes out each day, and the king Saul has offered a huge reward to anyone who kills him. Verse 31, then David's questions was reported to Saul and the king, and the king sent for him. Now watch how this unfolds, verse 32. Don't worry about this Philistine, David said. He's just a boy, by the way. I'll go fight him. Don't be ridiculous, said said Saul. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and take care. Watch this, watch this. There's no way you can fight this Philistine and possibly win. And I want everybody to read the next four words with me. Come on. You're only a boy. You're only a boy. Verse 34, but David persisted. Now watch what he says. When taking care of my father's sheep, he said, and a lion or a bear came to steal one of them, I went after it with a club and rescued it from its mouth. If the animal turned on me, I caught it by the jaw and I clubbed it to death. I've done this both to lion and bear, oh my. (laughs) And I'll do it again, some of you got that. And I'll do it again to this pagan Philistine for he has defied, he has defied the armies of the living God. I wish people would fight more for God than they do for their own wealth and their own families and their own churches. Please hear this when I say this. When it comes to my God, I could care less what happens in this church. Because I want this church fighting for things of God. I don't want a church that fights for celebrate. I want a church that celebrates that they get to fight for God. Please hear that. Verse 31, and the Lord who rescued me, and the Lord who rescued me, and the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear. By the way, when God heals someone of cancer, it's precisely this verse right here is why he did it. So you can say what the Lord did, what the Lord did. Not that you can get healed and then run around and do whatever you want. God only does what he does. Miracles are nothing more, not for you, they're for him to get glory. Everything God does is for his glory. And the Lord who rescued me from the claws of the lion and the bear will rescue me from this Philistine. This is why Jesus said in Luke 18, these things that are impossible for people to do are possible for me to do. It's why the prophet wrote in Zechariah, not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord Almighty. It's why Paul declared, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. It's why we did the previous series, The Amazing Promises of God, because the Bible is filled with promises that God's waiting for us to claim. So look what it says, so Saul consented, all right, go ahead, he said, and may the Lord be with you. And I just wonder if David's like, under his breath, like, well, he already is, man. I just told you that. But now don't miss this, because I think here's the problem today. Verse 38, then Saul gave David his own armor. David put it on, strapped the sword over, and took a couple of steps to see what it was like, for he had never worn such things before. I can't go on these, he protested. I'm not used to them. So David took them off. He picked up five smooth stones from a stream bed and put them into a shepherd's bag. Then armed only with his shepherd's staff and sling, he started across the valley, started across the valley to fight the Philistine. What if I told you I know a giant killer? What if I told you that I know a people whom I believe can slay the giant in our land? Wayne Cadero, I've shared this before, told a story 20 years ago. I remember being in Louisville, and I listened to him at a pastor's conference. And he said, everybody's talking about the end times. These are the end times, which, by the way, ought to make us excited, not put us in fear. That's kind of what it's all about, isn't it? What is it about us that we love the next generation so much we want them to have to deal with it so we can just go away and not? It's kind of like the dude who sits in the stands with his beer and he's well overweight telling the coach and the quarterback how they should play the game. But he's never played it. He says, if we are in the end times and we really believe that God knows what he's doing because I'm not sure we actually do. But if we are in the end times and these are the last days, he said, have you ever thought about a 4 by 100 relay? Every country in the Olympics has four of the fastest runners. But we all know that it's the last leg that's the fastest and best for each country. And they call them the anchor leg. We all know that was true with Jamaica when Hussein Bolt brought it home. Some of you might remember the last name of Johnson. Some of you might remember the last name of Lewis And they were all the fastest from their country and they would be the anchor leg and stadiums would be packed to watch four men, four women, after the gun would sound, take off in a hundred meters and pass the baton on. But when it get to that last leg, everybody was waiting for the last leg. And here's what Wayne said. If God knows what he's doing, have you ever considered that the young generation today, if we're in the last end times, that God knew who would be the best to bring it home? See, when I look at my kids, I don't look at my kids going, oh, what are they going to have to face? I find an incredible privilege that they're my kids and that God birthed them when he wanted them on the planet because he knew they would be the best to face whatever we have to face. That's how I father my kids. I don't worry about what they have to face. I worry about the ones they're going to face, that they've got to face my kids, because they have a big God. See, here's the deal. When God sends a deliverer, when God sends a deliverer to rescue his people from giants, he often chooses someone we would probably overlook or someone we would never pick. And often, it's usually a young person. Did you know that? I mean, let's just go to Isaiah 11. Can I tell you what the prophet said about Jesus? A little child will lead them. Unto you born this day in the city of David is a baby who's the Savior. And all of Israel went, oh, that can't be right. And 2,000 years later, All of Israel still waiting for the Savior to come because they couldn't accept the fact that it would be a baby. It'd be a child. Esther was 14 years old when God chose her to be queen and save the Jews from slaughter. She was 14. Samuel was 11 years old when God called him to be the prophet he was. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were anywhere between 13 and 13. On the low side and 20 years of age when they were thrown into the fiery furnace and stood up for the name of God. Joseph was 17 years old when his brothers threw him in slavery. And six years later he would be 23, 24 and God would use him to save the entire Israel race. Jeremiah was 17 when God called him into the most prophetic position that you could ever imagine and the most prophetic book that was ever written. He was 17 years old. Mary was 12 when the Holy Spirit came upon her and she became pregnant with the savior of the world. Timothy was 21 when Paul picked him for his second missionary journey and it was only a lad, a boy, that God would take his lunch and feed 5,000. Here's what I believe. For God to do what only God can do in our world today, he needs new wineskins that are flexible, nimble enough for him to operate through. And these new wineskins won't be able to use our yesterday's methods. Saul's great mistake that day was not that he saw David as a boy, but he tried to give David what a warrior, a soldier, was supposed to have to go into battle. And David was wise enough to say, that ain't gonna work. The church that you and I grew up in is not gonna work today. And if we fight to keep it, we're gonna lose and this is where the tension comes in the magic that lies in the hands of our young people these stones that they'll pick up are going to be dramatically different than the stones that we use to build where we are I believe we need to celebrate where we've been us that are 40 years and older but we can't assume that it's going to work today or tomorrow. If God who rightly created all things, and we truly believe that, this next generation of Davids should not be doubted in, but invested in. And I'm going to ask everybody here that's 40 years and older to invest in ways they've never invested before. Here's what I want to do. If you're under the age of 40, I'm gonna ask you to stand right now. I just want want you to look around. Everybody who's sitting, these are giant killers. They'll kill the giants. Can I tell you something about them? I've been around them enough. They want to. I've never met a generation of people who wanna make more of a difference than ever before. Down deep in their spirit, you can't imagine how, what's, what's going on underneath their hood. They want so, what some of the older generation call rebellion is not rebellion. It's passion. Passion that might be a little aimless right now, but they want so bad to make a difference. You'll never find a generation that's more cause-driven than the ones that are standing right now. They're more outspoken than any generation that's ever been. And some people say they need to learn to keep their mouth shut. No, 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 no. We need to give them something to really talk about. Because they want to. They'll fight like you can't believe, and I'll bank everything I know on it. In fact, as your pastor, I'm banking everything I know on it. I'm surrendering anything I've ever known right now. This younger generation's amazing. I, I'm not trying to make you feel comfortable. I want you to stay standing. And here's why. Because they want to stand. They just want to know that you believe in them. They want to know more than ever that you really believe that, that they could do something great. They're so hungry for it. This is why we tell you, is there anything more important in Sunday morning than holding a baby in our nursery? Are you that busy? Is it that hard to serve somewhere in the church? And I'm talking to those that are sitting right now. To greet someone at the door, it's not about greeting, it's not about seating someone, it's about seeing the next generation come in and saying, I'm so glad you're here. Are you so busy that you can't help out on Wednesday night and come and say, listen, I, I want to work with these young people. This is why we plead with you day and day and night what serving is really all about. It's not about filling a void. It's about investing in the next generation. Is there anything more important in your life than them? This is why I get offended when people walk up and go, well, you know how pastor's kids are. You have no idea how that crushes my spirit. You, what, you're a pastor's kid? You have no idea what it's like for my kids. You have no idea what it's like when their dad stands up and the hell that people throw at their dad, and they have to hear it. And I've told my girls, please hear this. If you want me to quit being a pastor while you're growing up, I'll do it in a heartbeat. I'll do it in a heartbeat. But you can't stop your daddy from talking about Jesus because if I'm selling cars, I'm going to sell Jesus, not cars. Because you have to understand, I don't do this, kids. I do this because God asked me to do it, but I'm never going to stop talking about Jesus. What is more important? Is it really that our next kids, that your kid would be the next LeBron James and gain the whole world and lose their soul? Is that really what you want for your children? I want my children to love Jesus. I tell my kids all the time, I could care less if you hate your earthly dad. I just want you to know you love your heavenly one. Because if they love their heavenly one, they're going to love their earthly dad, but I can't, get it, I can't get those backward. That would be tragic. This group standing know how to kill giants. And you know why I know that? Because God knew who needed to be born in such a time. Now, I want you guys to know how much I love you. This 56-year-old guy will give his entire life I'll do anything you ask me to do in the name of Jesus to fight for you. I promise you, I'll make that promise right now in front of everybody sitting here. I will lay my life down for you because I believe you know how to slay the giant. And somewhere us older people, we need to set back and go, we've probably looked at the, America wrongly say I think it's okay to just admit that you don't have to admit it out loud just say wow maybe I've been paralyzed a little bit but there's a giant in our land there's a giant and that giant's taunting my God he's defying my God and this country doesn't belong to our government or us it belongs to our God and I'm going to stand up for my God and this generation wants to I've watched them. I've watched them. I listen to them. I I rub shoulders with them. The stuff they say is unbelievable. And they're the ones that made the change of the service times, just so you know that. Because you make the decision. You tell me what this church needs to be 20, 30 years from now, because 20 years from now, I'm probably going to be dead. Please hear this. You're going to hear four of them preach in the next four weeks. They're going to share the pulpit with me and read. You're going to get to hear their hearts. I'm asking you to invest them like you've never invested before. I'm fully expecting us older people, me and everybody, I want to see the finances of this church increase like never before because you believe in them that much because we're going to invest them that much. The stuff that we're going to be sharing that they're writing and saying, here's what I think we need to do we're helping them we're not just throwing it we're we're walking with them and asking them and 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 it's unbelievable I'm gonna ask you to serve like never before I've already done that in our children's ministry in our youth ministry get behind them but here's the biggest thing I want you to disciple them see older generation Mordecai discipled Esther Barnabas discipled Paul Paul discipled Timothy Samuel discipled David Jesus discipled his 12 I'm asking the older generation from 40 above have them at your house. Look around the room. Don't just run to the door. Find out who they are. Have them at your house and tell them. Listen, don't try to give them your armor. Tell them your story. Let them hear how you came to know Jesus and how much you love him What the word of God. They need to hear that. Disciple them, disciple them, disciple them. If that would happen in this church, I promise you the, the culture of our world in this city and our community will change dramatically. This is the most amazing group of people. And I believe they're God's anchor leg. And I'm going to give it to them every way I can. I'm going to close with prayer. We need everybody. All hands on deck. If you're sitting right now, I'm going to ask. And I know younger people that are standing. I wanted you to stand because I want you to see who they are. But you that are sitting, please hear this. We're here because of you. This is not a disrespect of you. This is not a disrespect of me. This is a huge respect. We're here because of you. We're in this moment because of you and I. But where we're going, we need to wash their feet like we've never washed before. They want to fight. And I'm going to do everything I can to say go. Let's go. Let's go. And so if you're sitting, I'm going to ask right now, I know there's people standing, I'm going to ask if you would get up where you're at and just go over to where they're at. If you feel comfortable, you don't even have to put a hand on them, just stand there by them because I'm going to pray for them and I'm going to pray for all of us. Okay? You just get up and go there. I'm okay with that. These young people are amazing. Fathers, the room is moving about. First of all, that delights, I believe, your heart. That us that we're sitting, we get it. We've fought hard. I believe that. We have fought hard. We've carried the baton in an unbelievable way. That's why I believe we're in a moment like this. So God, I cheer that on. Whether it's the first, second, or third leg, but God, as we look at an anchor leg and we look at our world today, we're in a giant crisis. But we serve a giant God. And I look at this younger generation and boy, more than ever, what they need is our words of encouragement, our words of affirmation, God, they need to hear our story about why we follow Jesus. Many of us in this room at a very young age, but here we are looking in a mirror and our hair's thinning. We know we're not getting younger. But I look at this generation, I look at my own kids. I think, wow. The stuff that they say and the insights they have, I didn't have when I was their age. The passions they have, and so they, yeah, some of it might be aimless right now it might be wayward that's okay but that passion they have I admire it I applaud it God I pray right now that us 40 years and older right now in our hearts we would say God let me help me show me how I can serve them how I can encourage them I don't want to just walk by them I want to get to know our young people in our church this church specifically And I want to befriend them. I want to have them over. I want to do everything I can to pour into them any way I can. To invest in them and believe that you know what you're doing, God. And that I'm a vital part of their life. God, this doesn't give us any to set back and do nothing. This is a time more than ever we rise up and we invest in them in unbelievable ways. God, I pray for these young people. I pray for an anointing on them like never before. That, God, they would feel it. I pray right now there'd be even healing in their heart that they would recognize that they they attend a church that really loves them. God, I pray that forgiveness would happen all over the room. That if any young person feels like they've been slided, looked down or passed over, that God, they would just forgive and they'd hear us say, we're sorry. God, I pray there'd be a powerful healing. And in a room like this, Like never before, this is the beginning of something so beautiful. There's a giant crisis going on. But we serve an almighty God who knows how to slay giants. And we have a young generation that can slay giants. But it's going to be different. It's not going to be what we knew, but that's okay. There's fresh wine and a fresh wineskin. And we got to trust you in that. God, I pray that you'll show me how to lead. God, more than ever, I want to know how to get out of the way to watch your church be your church in a world today. Because regardless of what's going on, you still are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And I pray this all in Jesus' name. And everyone says, amen. 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 Well, thanks again for listening. To hear more messages like this one, make sure to subscribe and check out our podcast channel for past messages. And if you like what you're hearing, consider rating it and even sharing it with your friends. It helps so much. You know, you can click the share button, take a screenshot and share it on your social stories and tag us at Celebrate Church. For more content from Celebrate and to connect with us, go to celebrate.church. We love you and we believe in you. God bless.